Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? I am feeling pretty good. The sun is shining and it's pretty warm. It's not hot, but it's that nice, easy, high 70s kind of feel. Um, So today you just got me for this episode, which is really fantastic because I feel like it's been a long time since I've gotten a chance to just talk to you guys one-on-one. Um, So to start the episode, I will bring out my roulette of poems by Hafiz. The book is called The Gift. And today's poem, let's just rifle through, is called Trying to Wear Pants. You are a royal fish trying to wear pants in a country as foreign as land. Now there's a problem worth discussing. Your separation from God has ripened. Now fall like a golden fruit into my hand. All your wounds from craving love exist because of heroic deeds. Now trade in those medals. That courage will help this world. One needs to love those they have yet to love, to stand near the friend. Why be a royal fish trying to wear pants? Hafiz, what are you talking about? Has something happened to your once brilliant mind? (sighs) Well, that poem is really interesting. Um, You know, off off the top of my head, when I started reading it, I was thinking about uh, how in this world, a lot of us exist in a way that does not honor our true selves. It's, it's us being royal fish trying to wear pants, you know, um, walking on land instead of swimming in the sea. It can look like uh, these expectations of, you know, grad- going to college, graduating from college, um, you know, finding that job, dating somebody, marrying them, having kids, keep on working, retire, and then die. <laughs> you know, that is the path that is mapped out for a lot of people. Um, And a lot of people follow that path because they don't know what else to do because they haven't been made aware that they are actually fish trying to walk on land when really we should be seeking out the ocean. We should be seeking out the sea. Um, And the other thing that that brought, um, that that caught my attention was this line called, uh, that goes, your separation from God has ripened. Now fall like a golden fruit into my hand. And I'm thinking about how in this current moment of uprisings, not just across the country, but around the globe, and this fight for social justice reminds us that we are not as different as we think we are. 
I'm thinking specifically about how our society has been built on perceived differences based on appearance and skin color, on social economic status, and how that just creates more separation from each other. Um, you know, one of the things that I believe is that there is God in all of us. There's divine in all of us. And the more we are separated from that, the more difficult and painful our lives are, the more suffering we experience. And so in this poem, that line, your separation from God has ripened, the way I see it is now that time is over. You know, the pain of ripening because of that separation has now become this thing where the fruit separates from the tree, but then returns to the earth, returns to Hafiz's hand. Um, I'm just thinking about that and how beautiful that, that image is in my head. Um, but anyway, so don't try to wear pants if you're a fish. <laughs> Go seek out the ocean and start swimming. Um, and one of the things that I, I've been thinking about specifically uh, the last couple days is uh, this question that was posed in uh, one of the groups I'm in, in a, a, a sacred study of um, yogic literature, a spiritual sankha that, that looks at sacred literature for guidance and how we move through the world. And um, there was a person who posed a question, uh, you know, through the context of the Black Lives Matter movement, the end to police brutality. Um, and the, the question, I can't, I, I can't quite remember all of it word for word, but the basic idea is how, if we are not the body, right? So, so there are some yogic philosophies that emphasize the fact that we are not the body, we're not the mind, but we're something divine. We are divine spirit souls having a human experience. And so the question was about how much of what's going on is, I don't want to say allowed, but we'll just say just for the sake of discussion, is allowed in to our spiritual spaces. Um, you know, I think this this person, uh, while she is someone who it stands with the Black Lives Matter movement, looks at yoga classes or spiritual gatherings as an opportunity to get away from that awareness not to escape it but more to put it aside so that she can focus more in her spiritual existence um so i was thinking about this like how do you combine or what is the balance between the physical realm and the spiritual realm in terms of how we act in the world so for example is it okay to bring in 
social issues into the yoga studio? I think so. But how do you frame it? How do you incorporate that into the conversation when the philosophy all along has been this idea of I'm not the body and I'm not the mind, right? And these these social issues are very much rooted in the physical existence, very much rooted in, you know, the body, the black and brown bodies, and also mindset in, in our thinking and how we perceive each other as different from each other, as separate, um, just, you know, going back to that poem. And so I was thinking about this, and it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I, don't, I don't have any answers, but I know that I'd like to maybe offer some explorations in this. Um, you know, because when I first uh, embarked on the bhakti yoga path, uh, I did study with Raghunath Kapo um, in India in January of last year. And um, that was my first, re- that was like bhakti immersion. Now, for those of you who are not familiar, bhakti yoga is the yoga of love and devotion. And there are different, uh, different traditions of yoga. Um, like there's jnana yoga, which is steeped in knowledge and learning, studying the texts. Um, Ashtanga yoga, which is something that a lot of people are familiar with, the eight limbs of yoga, um, with the physical practice, the meditation, and so on. Uh, the, but bhakti yoga is about love and devotion. It really is about being in service to others, um, being in service to Krishna specifically. Um, but, you know, if you don't, you know, are not comfortable with that, then, you know, in service to the divine. And so I, I studied um, in India for a month there, uh, learning about bhaktis, philosophies, practices, learning some asanas as well. And um, when I came back, I was very much of the mindset that, yes, I am not the body. I'm not the mind. I'm something divine. And I'm totally into that. But what happened when I came back to the States was that I'm still a person of color in the United States that structurally is set up to favor white folks. And so I was trying to reconcile that, to think about, all right, well, I am an activist. I've been um, an activist for social justice for some time now, for, you know, I don't know, almost 20 years. And I was trying to reconcile this idea of physical bodies, brown bodies, and black bodies fighting for justice and equality, um, you know, in a white world. I mean, we're just going to say what it is. And I couldn't quite fit the two pieces together. Here I was, a woman of color fighting for, you know, for what's equal and right and just. Um, But at the same time, thinking, well, wait, if I'm just a spirit soul having a human experience, does that really matter? Do I still need to keep fighting? You know, because in the end, like, what's it matter? I leave, I leave the planet and, you know, incarnate as something else. You know, maybe I incarnate as a white person. I don't know. But, but what, how do you put those two together? Um, and so I remember uh, coming back from India and, and sitting with these questions and emailing 
Raghunath um, a couple times about it and not really getting a clear answer from him. Only because I think he was still trying to figure it out too. I don't think he knew how to answer that. Um, if I asked him those same questions now, he might he might have something um, different to offer. But then uh, he pretty much was like, it doesn't matter what you are. You're just a spirit soul. And that wasn't satisfactory to me. Um, so I, I just, you know, kind of put those questions um, in the back of my head. I, I stopped asking him and started just inquiring of myself and noticing things around me, noticing, um, you know, how many people of color were in yoga classes, noticing um, if there was a person of color in that class, what their relationship to yoga might be. Uh, sometimes if I knew them, I'd, I'd talk to them. But often I didn't know these people. It'd be different people every time. And the way I would kind of get that answer was through body language. People communicate who they are from their body language. And so I would notice how certain people would move through their practice. You know, there are those who are who are doing yoga for the strengthening as benefits of it. Um, and there were those who were there for the meditative piece, for going within, for self-development, um, for evolution. And so it was interesting for me just to watch and pay attention and notice these things. But I don't, I never really got any conclusive information. Like I didn't, I didn't come to any conclusions. And so this question came up over the weekend about where um, social justice issues have a place in the yoga practice in, in, you know, in the studios. And I've been thinking about it for the past few days and I, I really feel like I'm at a quandary, but I do want to touch on the fact that even though we are spirit souls, having a human experience that's the key right there it's having a human experience and so what is the human experience that you want because if you are looking away from social issues and saying no you can't come into this yogic space then is that a kind of denial of that human experience um i don't know because I, I can see this person's desire to to want to keep things strictly spiritual, right? You know, like we'll just focus in on the Gita, the, the Bhagavad Gita, for example, or we'll just focus in on mantra, or we'll just focus in on, you know, warrior two. But I know that some of the practices, um, some of the teachers, when they lead a class, the good ones anyway, they often say every person's body is different. Everyone's warrior two will look different from your neighbor, from the person in front. You know, it'll look different from the person you were yesterday. It'll look different from the person you are tomorrow. Your warrior two is not going to be exactly the same every time you go into it. Why? Because we are constantly changing. And so I'm wondering if it's possible to compartmentalize spirituality from everything that's going on in the outside world. Uh, I don't think it is. 
And, 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 you know, this person did say, you know, it's, it is appropriate that, you know, studios are um, making statements and doing the work to change the landscape of yoga in the United States, which is, you know, hugely white. But I wanted to ask, is it helpful to compartmentalize like that? You know, because I see it as an opportunity to grow. Um, let's say I'm sitting. Let's say I'm sitting in yoga class, and the teacher starts bringing in. You know, we're going to do better by Black folks, by Brown folks, by people of color, by Indigenous folks. We're going to do better by doing X, Y, and Z. Or maybe they start a little conversation about, you know, thinking how to apply yogic philosophy to what's going on right now. But um, Instead of getting frustrated or feeling resistant or rolling your eyes or saying, oh, this is not the place for that. I mean, my first question is, why is it not the place for that? Especially given that um, the yoga world is hugely white. Why not have that as a, as a platform for conversation? And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to intrude on your asana practice. It could just be, you know, like a two-minute dharma talk or whatever. But why not? And then the second question that I'm thinking about is, can you see this incorporation, not an invade, I mean, I guess she sees it as an invasion of your spiritual space as an opportunity for growth? An opportunity to say, all right, something that I don't want here in my space is coming in right now. I don't have control over it. How can I look at it in a way that it will help me evolve, that will help me grow beyond my comfort zone, beyond my conditions, my perfect conditions for experiencing spirituality. Because we live in a world that's constantly changing and things are coming at us. You know, life is happening for us. How are we using our life experiences to grow and to evolve and to possibly deepen our spiritual practice? So the idea of compartmentalizing, of keeping things separate or out, it's not it's not useful. It's it's actually a disservice to your journey on your spiritual path. At least this is how I'm thinking right now. Um, but, you know, sometimes there are days where you just don't want to hear it, where you're just tired because you're a person of color and you've been doing this kind of work, this kind of emotional labor for a while. And the last thing you want is for someone to put more on you you know it it, because as I'm as I'm talking what I'm imagining now is okay I'm in a yoga class right I'm the only person of color the white yoga teacher starts talking about black lives matter and then everybody looks at me you know I mean I see that as being like oh maybe I don't want to go to yoga now because everyone's looking at me to be like the spokesperson and I get that but I don't think that that was the question that this person had Um, But I do want to provide that alternative scenario where it's not the responsibility of 
black folks, of indigenous folks, of people of color to educate white folks. It's not. I mean, we've been doing the work of fighting for, um, you know, social justice forever, forever. And so, you know, I know there are some in the community who are willing to educate white folks, you know, because they want to they wanna help. They want to do it right. And so turn to those folks for stuff. But if there's somebody who's in your class that just wants to practice their asana yoga, you know, leave them alone. Um, but I digress. I mean, this is a conversation that, that I've been thinking about uh, for the past couple of weeks as far as, you know, how does the yoga world respond to the uprisings that are going on right now? You know, it's not all love and light. We got to do the work. And are people really willing to do the work? You know, when yoga gets hard, are you really a yogi? Are you really willing to step up? Or are you just going to hide behind your namaste? Um, Because yoga isn't all love and light. It really is about connecting with your spirit self and understanding who you are at the deepest level and connecting with that divine self so that you can be of service to others, so that you can be an example of kindness, of compassion, of love for others, even when they're different from you, even when they are not so nice. I was going to say hateful. I guess I could say that too. Even if they're hateful. The hard work of yoga is practicing how to really love everyone, to see everyone as a divine spirit soul. And those that are hateful, that are violent, that are, you know, damaging, that are all these things, yoga Practicing yoga is an opportunity, an invitation to see beyond the hurtful actions, the hurtful words, and to realize that there's a person underneath there who's been hurt, who's been traumatized, who's been damaged, and probably generationally speaking. Um... It's not easy, and it's not up to us to heal anybody, but it is a call to see people as human beings, as spirit souls, as the same. You know, we are all connected. And so I just wanted to start this conversation because I feel that there's some policing going around when it comes to what we can and can't talk about, where we can and cannot bring up these things. Um, it doesn't do us any good to put these parameters on important conversations. These conversations are hard and uncomfortable, and we don't know the answers. Not everybody does. I mean, some people might know a little bit more than others, but we don't have all the answers. And anyone who pretends that they do is probably selling you something. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I, 
you can't make assumptions about what people know also. Um, just because they're a person of color doesn't necessarily mean that, that they know what's going on. Maybe they do. But you can't also assume that um, they've lived a really crappy life. You don't know. It's important just to see people as people and to acknowledge that there is inequality in our system and to start talking about it and to start taking action and doing something about it and not being worried about whether or not it's perfect to be willing to speak out and make mistakes and say the wrong thing. At least you're trying. You know, um, I've had a a couple of friends, uh, a couple of white women friends who, when um, the uprisings first started happening, when the protests started, you know, popping up everywhere, um, I had a couple of white women friends who were feeling reluctant to say anything they didn't want to say the wrong thing you know they 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 agreed with what was happening they um they wanted to help they wanted to fight the good fight but they didn't know what to say and they didn't want to say the wrong thing they didn't want to hurt anybody they didn't you know they didn't want to come across as like the the bad white person or whatever and I told them I told both of them and they're two separate people and two separate you know circles of my life I told both of them that it's better to say something and be awkward and to stumble and to say the wrong things, to make mistakes, than it is to do nothing, to say nothing. Because, you know, silence is an interesting thing. There's different nuances to silence and different intentions that could be applied to silence. But in this case, not saying anything because you're afraid of saying the wrong thing is not a good thing. It's not helpful. And so these two women, I'm, I'm so happy to report and to say that they have been doing the work. They've been speaking up. They've been showing up. They've been doing what they can to, um, to fight the good fight, but also to be mindful of amplifying the voices of black and brown folks. And that's what I really appreciate is that they are showing up, they're doing the work that they need to do. They're not asking black or brown folks to to educate them. They're going out and and looking for books to read. They're talking to other people. They're talking to other white folks who are more politically conscious than them. They're they're looking for ways to to express what they've got in their heads and their hearts. Um, So they're doing the work to learn and they're listening. And they're also helping amplify these voices of black and brown folks. Um, and I really appreciate that. I really do. Um, and I will say for on my end of things that it hasn't been easy um, for me to have these kinds of conversations either because, you know, is it safe for me to talk to them in the way that I need to talk to them? Um, you know, I know some folks, they, they're good with just saying it like it is. Like, this is what you need to do, white people. Go buy this book or that book or go check out this person or look at that person's, you know, Instagram, etc. For me, it's, um, it's easier to say that to strangers. But when it comes to people I know, I feel um, a little hesitant 
to be direct with them. So, I mean, not not both of these women, but just a few people in general, um, where I'll communicate with them, but maybe not on the phone. You know, maybe I'll send an email or a text message because it feels safer. And I know one um, one friend asked me, you know, why I emailed her and didn't just pick up the phone and call her. And I told her it's because I didn't feel safe. I didn't know how she would react. I didn't know she would shut me down. And I was just tired of that kind of response, generally speaking, from my past experience. Um, you know, I had a really intense experience three years ago after um, a week after the Women's March of 2017, where a group of white women basically came after me, you know, their white fragility was on display and they gaslighted me and it was really trying. It was awful. Um, I was going to say traumatic, but, you know, people throw that word around a lot. And, and I don't know if it was, if it was that serious. Um, it was hurtful. Uh, and, it, it's a history that I remember that causes me to approach white people with caution when I start talking about issues that have to do with black, indigenous, and people of color. Um, so yeah, so white folks, if you're listening, you know, do the work. And if you need help, reach out. And, um, and don't hesitate to reach out to your friends of color either because you don't know, they may want to help you. They will be clear, at least I will be clear, whether or not I am willing to do that kind of emotional labor with you, not for you, with you. Um, and so on that note, I do want to say that I am offering, in partnership with Onyx Yoga Studio in Warren, New Jersey, I am offering a... Um, black, indigenous, people of color centered yoga and meditation class every Sunday night, 5.30 p.m. It's going to be both in person, outdoors. They have a nice outdoor space that they've set up, this giant tent, and you have these nice little um, grass, green-like area rugs that you could put your mat on. And we've got social distancing in full effect um, space is limited there, but it's going to be both in person and live streaming. So for those of you who are not local, you know, like my Chicago folks or my Cali folks, you are more than welcome to sign up and join in. Um, it's really important to me anyway, to create spaces just for, uh, folks of color. Um, because, I don't know, for me, it feels like it's so key to begin the process of healing from all of the trauma that we've experienced as people of color in this country. So what better healing modality than yoga and meditation and to do it with people who get us, you know, with like-minded folks and not having to be on alert all the time. You know, I have a friend um, who posted something in the early stages of this uprising. Uh, he posted something on his Instagram where he he said, you know, talking about the pandemic, talking about COVID, and, and he was talking about how, he goes, you know that feeling when you're out in the grocery store and you've got your mask on and you're not sure if, you know, this guy who doesn't have a mask might have 
the virus and are you going to get it and are you you know wary of the um, shopping cart handles carrying the virus and so you're you're always on alert you know waiting for something to happen and how tense you are in that moment and second guessing like okay am I allowed to go here do I go there is this too close I have my mask on am I allowed to talk to people do I make eye contact you know he went through this whole amazing scenario and then the next the next photo the next slide was imagine how you feel if you felt like that every day of your life that is how a person of color feels every day and I was like yes was so good so good so all that to say that it's so important for uh, folks of color to have community spaces that are just for us so that we can relax so that we can actually be ourselves and be in the company of those who get us and we can you know talk however we want move however we want do our warrior too however it feels like in that moment and not care and not worry about like, oh, that person's looking at me weird, or you know, what are you looking at? Um, and so that's why that's why we, myself and and Shannon at Onyx Yoga Studio, are offering this class just for Blacks, Indigenous folks, and people of color. Uh, Sunday evenings, five thirty p.m. Eastern time. Um, so just go to the site. I'll put the website in the show notes. Um, and uh, I hope to see you there. But also, I want to tell you, I am, um, just me, I am offering a free class uh, for resilience training because there's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of energy drain, a lot of overwhelm, a lot of intensity with the protests and the, the shifting of the world between pandemic and social change. It's important for us to support our nervous system and to figure out how to get through overwhelm um, and how to empower ourselves. So I'm holding a, a, a free resilience training class this Saturday, June 20th at 12 noon uh, Eastern time, uh, 9 a.m. Pacific for my Cali people. And you can find more information about that on my website, suryagian.com slash free hyphen resilience hyphen training. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the nervous system. I'll give you a few tips on how to strengthen that as well as um, figuring ways to let go of anxiety and stress. Oh, it'll be good. It'll be so good. So you got two oppor- opportunities to work with me this weekend. You got free resilience training, 12 noon on Saturday, or <sighs> beautiful community space of yoga and meditation for black indigenous people of color uh, Sunday afternoon or early evening at 5 30 p.m. All right so that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you can think about bringing in the outside world into your spiritual practice because that is what it's about. The life, the external life is happening for us for us to learn for us to evolve okay you got it all right now i'm going to read a poem by rumi to close out the show and this one is called someone digging in the ground an eye is meant to see things 
The soul is here for its own joy. A head has one use for loving a true love. Legs to run after. Love is for vanishing into the sky. The mind for learning what men have done and tried to do. Mysteries are not to be solved. The eye goes blind when it only wants to see why. A lover is always accused of something, but when he finds his love, whatever was lost in the looking comes back completely changed. On the way to Mecca, many dangers, thieves, the blowing sand, only camel's milk to drink. Still, each pilgrim kisses the black stone there with pure longing, feeling in the surface the taste of the lips he wants. This talk is like stamping new coins. They pile up while the real work is done outside by someone digging in the ground. Hmm. And so to close this episode, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Namaste. Until next time. During this time of upheaval, it's easy to feel overwhelmed and drained of energy. So what do you do? Naps sometimes help, but not always. Hiding under the covers doesn't solve the problem. Pretending there is no problem just makes things worse. So what if I told you that there was another way, and that involves your nervous system, and maybe a little easy yoga? Join me this Saturday, June 20th at 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, for a free resilience training class where you will learn how to stop energy drain and deal with overwhelm. Sign up today at zuriagian.com slash free hyphen resilience hyphen training to save your spot. And join me on Instagram Live every day this week at 12 noon for quick tips that will help you feel better already. Your best life starts now.